Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me to Romans chapter 1. We want to talk some more today about uh, righteousness and the effects of righteousness and some other aspects of it. In Romans chapter one, the apostle Paul wrote in verse number 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And uh, another translation says, for in the gospel, God's way of man being in right standing with him is revealed. And it's revealed through the gospel. We know we read over in the third chapter of Romans, you can turn over there. It says, but now, that means today in in the dispensation we're living, in the church age, but now, the righteousness of God, notice apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth as a propitiation by his blood, through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time, that's this day in which we live, demonstrating his righteousness that he might be righteous and the righteousness of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified, declared righteous by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So we found this out that righteousness is first and foremost uh, the ability, it's to, to say it in, in the short term or the, the, the abbreviated definition is righteousness is right standing with God. And that simply means righteousness is the ability to come into the presence of of the almighty God, the holy God of this universe, to come into his very presence as though sin had never existed. With no sense of condemnation, no sense of guilt or shame, but to come openly and freely before God because you know you've been put and brought into right relationship with him, right standing with him. That's what righteousness is. Righteousness also has uh, uh, an implication concerning our conduct. Righteousness is right standing with God. It's also right living. There is a a, a Godward side and then there is a, a, a natural side. Because we've been made righteous, we then have been liberated to live righteous lives. Amen? And so we found this out. Go with me over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We were made righteous when we were born again. We're not, not looking at it, but we'll quote this passage over in, in Romans chapter 5. 
It says, having received the gift of righteousness, we reign in life through Jesus Christ. So righteousness is a gift. It's not something we earn. It's not something we work toward. Righteousness is the gift of God and it is God who declared us righteous. Now, where, when did this happen? It happened the moment you were born again. The moment you were born again, you became the righteousness of God in Christ. I could ask anybody sitting here today, when, when did you become a male or a female? And you say, when I was born. I was born a male. I was born a female. It's not something that you had to work on. It's something that was created in you. Isn't that right? You are a male or a female by creation. Amen. And uh, by the same token, you don't work into righteousness. You are, you've been declared righteous as a result of the birth, the new birth. You were born righteous. In, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, If therefore anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When a person receives the Lord Jesus Christ, everything about what he was and used to be before Christ passes away. Now, the only thing that remains is your body and your unrenewed mind. But, when, but, but as far as the real you, the man on the inside, everything that you were passes away and God creates on the inside of you a brand new person. That new man is created in Christ Jesus, perfectly righteous, perfectly okay with God, no past, no history, it's not just that your sins are remitted. Everything about you is remitted. Everything that you were is washed away and you become a brand new person. Praise the Lord. And then he goes on to say, verse 21, he made him, referring to Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Glory to God. When you were born again, you became the righteousness of God. Not some other inferior kind of righteousness. The very righteousness of God, that's what you became when you were born again. Oh, that's exciting. Hallelujah. And that's why I said over in Colossians, turn over there with me, Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one. Look at verse number 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power, that word power literally is the word authority. He has delivered us from the authority of darkness and has conveyed us or transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. We were taken out of the kingdom of darkness and transplanted and transferred over into the kingdom of the Son of God, of the love of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it says he has qualified us to partake of the inheritance of the saints in the light. You know, one of the most discouraging things you can ever hear is for someone to say, you're not qualified. You know, you may be... Uh, uh, 
uh, considering a promotion at work. You know, you want to get a, an advancement and take on new responsibilities. And, and, and it's, very, it's very discouraging and very uh, disheartening for someone to say, well, you're just not qualified for that job. But you know what? When it comes to, the, to the, our inheritance, we're qualified. Amen. Glory to God. We're qualified. We didn't qualify ourselves. He qualified us. Amen. He qualified us to partake of all of the blessings there are in Christ. Everything available to any Christian is available to every Christian because he qualified us. We didn't, like I said, we didn't qualify ourselves. He qualified us. Oh, glory to God. And you know, if he's, if he's qualified us, we're qualified. Amen. If we're qualified by the almighty God, we're qualified. You don't need more qualification than being qualified by God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let's turn to the subject today. Now that we're born again in our, in our living for God, what about what happens when Christians sin? What, what happens? How, how does God deal with that? How are we supposed, supposed to respond to that? Go with me, if you would, over to 1 John and let's look at, we're going to come back to chapter 1, of course, but I want to start in chapter 2 for a particular reason. 1 John chapter 2. <clears throat> and I want to start in verse number 28. And then we're going to read down through uh, probably the first uh, good portion of chapter 3, through the first 10 verses anyway. So First John chapter 2, verse 28, it says, Now therefore, little children, abide in him. And when he appears, he is, he's coming back. I said he's coming back. He's going to appear. Glory to God. There are, there are this little side journey, there are two different things that Christians refer to when they refer to the coming of the Lord. He is coming for the church and that's referred to as his appearing. He's coming for the church. to He will appear and he will catch us away. He, when he comes to catch away the church, he won't actually come and, and make it all the way to the planet and be here. He will come and meet us in the air. He will appear and we will be caught away. There are no signs regarding his coming to catch us away. There are no signs, no biblical signs. In other words, there's not anything in the scriptures that the Bible identifies that has to be fulfilled or has to happen before he comes to catch away the church. We don't know when it's gonna happen. It can happen at any moment. We're not waiting for the fulfillment of any kind of a sign. Where people get confused is the signs that people talk about, uh, the only signs that are given are signs concerning his return to the earth at the end of the tribulation period to set up his reign on the earth. There are signs re in, in uh, regard to his second coming in that sense, but there are no signs about his return to catch away the church. He's coming and we don't know when it is. He, can, and he could come before the service is out. Glory to God. Oh, it'd be all right with me. And we ought to live in, in such a way that we're watching and waiting for him every day. Amen. So let's go back here. Now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence. Now notice, when he appears, we need to have confidence 
and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We need to live in such a way that we have confidence and not shame. Is it possible to live in such a way that when you hear the trumpet and when you hear the, 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 the call of the archangel and the Lord Jesus returns to catch us away, is it possible to live in such a way that you have confidence? Yes. Is it possible to live in such a way that when he returns to catch us away, you would be ashamed? Not as many uh, uh, agreements, but it's true. He said, we're not to live where we would be ashamed, but we would have confidence at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Let's continue reading. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now... We are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, that is his coming to catch away the church, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. <clears throat> now notice verse, verse number three. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he, Jesus, is pure. Every one of us <clears throat> who has, has this hope of his return and of his appearing purifies himself. What does that mean? It means he keeps himself right. He watches over his life. He guards his life. And, and if he makes a mistake, he does something to correct that. Everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself. This is something that happens after salvation. There is an ongoing purification process. Are you listening to me? And it's something that we have to maintain lest we be condemned or ashamed at his coming. Let's continue to read. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sin and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he, Jesus, and God the Father is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Notice he's, he's saying this twice. Verse six, he said, whoever abides in him does not sin. In verse number nine, he says, whoever has been born of God does not sin for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. That word manifest means are revealed or made clear. He said, you can see by the way a person lives whether they're a child of God or the child of the devil. I said, you can see 
by the way a person lives, whether they're a child of God or a child of the devil. Amen. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Now we'll stop there for a minute. Notice he says twice here that whoever abides in him, that would be a Christian, does not sin. And he says, he who sins is of the devil. And he says, whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed, that is God's seed, remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. He says in verse six, the latter part, whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now, there, there, this causes uh, a lot of confusion with people. What is he talking about? Is he saying that a Christian does not ever do anything wrong he never commits a sin, never fails God. I'm not talking about making a mistake, you know, and just accidentally doing something. I'm talking about actually failing God. Is he saying the Christian never does that and it's impossible for him to do that? And, uh, if he, and, and a person who does that, whoever sins, could not possibly be a Christian. Well, it sounds like he's saying that. Doesn't it? I mean, there's, there's little wiggle room in these verses. But then if you go back, see, you have to have the Bible interpret the Bible. This is a classic case of looking at one side of the mountain, a, a, a truth, you know. It's like someone said, if you, if, you, if you look at a mountain, you can take a photograph of a mountain, it'll look one way. If you go clean around the mountain to the other side, take a photograph from the mountain from the other direction, it doesn't even look like the same geography at all. Doesn't, it would, it, you, would, you would not even put the two of them together. Nothing looks the same. Isn't that right? And yet it's the same mountain. Well, when it comes to Bible truths, there, there are there are. Uh, multi-sides to truth. Which, of, which, which side is right? All of them are right. Everything the Bible says about a particular topic or, or idea is true. You have to put them together. Paul told Timothy, he said, rightly divide the word of truth. Rightly divide the word of truth. That means you have to take the word of God as it, as, it, it, as it makes reference to every subject in the Bible. You have to go through the Bible and find all the other places where this particular idea, topic, or subject is dealt with and look at all of it to get a composite view so that you are balanced in what you believe. Amen. I think I mentioned it this way, you know. You have to look at the word of God in a, in a three dimension. You know, you can close one eye in your natural vision and you've gone from three dimension to one dimension. And, you know, you, if, if, when you close one eye, you lose the perception from that eye. And, and if you've ever put your finger out in front of you, 
you know, and, and, and open, you know, wink back and forth, you'll notice that finger jumps from side to side. Each eye sees the world in front of you slightly different. It's from a different, it's the same, it's the same world, but there's a different perspective because your eyes are spread out in your head. So it's looking at it from slightly different directions. Well, what that does, when your brain takes the, the input of both of those eyes and mixes those images and you have a three-dimensional. I can, I can look at, at Debbie right here and Leslie behind her and I can just about tell you without, without actually measuring how far apart they're sitting. If I close one eye, that's not nearly as easy. You lose that sense of depth, isn't that right? Well, people go through the Bible with one, only looking at the scripture through one eye. See, if you just look at this passage in, in, in chapter, uh, the latter part of two and on into the middle part of three, if you only look at this verse, these verses alone, you'll get one view, but there's another view. Go back to 1 John. Just go back to the first chapter. If Verse number eight says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10 says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Well, that sounds contradictory to what we just read in chapter three. Chapter three says, someone that's been born of God cannot sin. God's seed remain, remains in him and he cannot sin. And if he does sin, he's never known God. He's never even been saved. And then in, but in fact, chapter one, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Well, which is it? Both are true. Both are true. See, what he's talking about, and, and, and not only that, in verse number nine, let's just deal with this in verse number nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, if the Christian cannot sin, if it's impossible for the Christian to sin, then why is 1 John 1, 9 in the Bible? Not only that, look at chapter two, verse one. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is a propitiation for our what? For our what? For our what? I thought we couldn't sin. How in the world, now you say, now this is not talking about propitiation for the unsaved. He said, he is the propitiation, that word propitiation means the satisfaction of a debt. He himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. So he's not just talking about the unsaved, he's talking about the sins of the Christian. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. All of us who cannot sin. Well, what's the answer? Notice, go back in chapter two. Notice, now little children abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who, say this word with me, practices. Everyone who what? Practices righteousness is born of him. Now let's go up to chapter, uh, over to chapter three, verse four. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness, lawlessness. 
And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him <clears throat> does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices, say that with me, practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. We could add it. Now, would I, would I like it better if John had put the word practice in there? I would, I would like it better if he had. But the, but the point is, it's inferred in this passage. It's a person who practices righteousness compared to a person who practices sin. So you could read it that way. Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, verse seven. He who practices sin is of the devil. For the de Now notice, does the devil practice sin? Yeah, the devil sinned from, beginning, from the beginning. For this purpose, the man, son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not practice sin. I inserted a word there. But we know that has to be true from 1 John 1. I said, we know that has to be true from 1 John 1. We're authorized to, to add that commentary to the verse because from 1 John 1, we know that God makes provision for Christians when we sin. Secondly, reality. Real, just you know that you've been born again, but you also know you've sinned since you were born again. Now, if you, if, you, if you don't want to admit that, you're a liar. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So we know on a practical level, just look at our own lives, that since we were born again, we've missed the mark. We've, we've sinned, we've done wrong since we, since we were born again and made the righteousness of God. But what this is talking about is a person who practices sin. You see, a believer, someone who is truly born again, not someone who just merely goes to church, not even someone who walks the aisle and prays in front of people, but someone who in their heart has actually believed on the Lord Jesus Christ unto righteousness. They, they have been born again and become a new creature in Christ. They've been made one with the Lord Jesus. That Christian cannot practice sin. And if he does, he's neither seen God nor known God. Well, got quiet. It's true. You see, if you're born again, you, if you're genuinely born again, you don't want to do wrong. Why not? Because you've been born of God. God's seed, his life, his nature, his essence lives on the inside of you. You've been born of his spirit and joined to him. He's in you. Your spirit is joined to the Lord. You're one with the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that union with him and his divine life in you, you don't want to do wrong. You want to do right. And if you're born again, you practice doing right. 
You practice living right. In other words, on a daily basis, you do those things that are right. Why? Because his life is in you. And there is no lawlessness in him. There's only righteousness in him. And so if you've been born again and you've become the righteousness of God, you practice righteousness. You practice doing right. But because of the flesh, because of this unrich, see our flesh is not born again. It's not been changed. And when you're a young Christian, particularly, particularly your flesh will work against you and teaming up with your unrenewed mind will trip you up and temptation will come through your flesh. And if you're, and if you're a weak Christian, weak spiritually, sometimes you'll yield to that temptation in your sin. But you don't practice sin as a lifestyle. You practice doing right. If a person can practice, if a, if, a, if a professing Christian can just live openly in sin, that person is on very dangerous ground. Very dangerous. It's a very dangerous thing to do. What do we do when we sin? We confess our sin. Listen, get in the habit when you miss it, go to God Instantly, don't wait till the end of the day. Don't wait till your shift is over. Don't wait until lunch break. When you do, see, when you do wrong, right down here on the inside of you, you know it. You know it. Now, notice what he says in, uh, we're here in 1 John, just stay there. 1 John chapter 3. Verse number 18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, that means only, but in deed and in truth. By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure, or the margin says, persuade our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Notice, if our heart condemns us, when you miss it, when you sin as a Christian, God doesn't condemn you. God doesn't condemn you. The Holy Spirit doesn't condemn you. Jesus doesn't condemn you. Hold your place here and go to Romans chapter eight. Look at Romans chapter eight. Verse number 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Is it God? No, it's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It, is it Jesus who condemns? No, it is Christ who died. And furthermore, has also ris risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. God doesn't condemn us. The Spirit doesn't condemn us. Now the Holy Spirit will convict you. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. The Holy Spirit will convict you and show you where you've done wrong and draw you back to him. But condemnation is a terrible thing. Condemnation is, is an accusation against you. And when you do wrong, your own heart 
will condemn you. That condemnation when you do wrong, that sense of unworthiness comes from your own spirit that's been grieved because of sin. But God's not doing that. He's pulling for you. He's he's ever living to make intercession for you all the time. Amen. You know, over in in, uh, 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 Galatians, in the sixth chapter of Galatians, he said, if a man is overtaken in a fault or a sin, that doesn't mean just a, some you know, human error, but if a, if a believer is overtaken or caught somehow, tempted and tripped up and caught in sin, he said, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. In a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Before you point your finger at somebody and say, oh, that's just terrible what they did. If you had been tempted like they were, you might not have done as good as they did. That's the truth. You don't know how bad the temptation was. And besides that, how good did you do with the last temptation you had? There was a person I knew, young man, and Christian young man, been in church, and, and, and he, he, was, he was always stealing stuff. And he'd get caught and he finally, you know, went to prison for it and he got out and did it again. He would just break into homes and steal. And, and, and you would think, what in the world is wrong with that guy? I mean, how dumb can you be to just keep doing that over and over again? I'd never do it. I'd be smarter than that. Yeah, but what about the areas where you do sometimes miss it over and over again? Why aren't you smarter than that? The fact is you've never been tempted to break into somebody's house. Not seriously. I know I'm not. That's not a temptation. I drive some by somebody's house. It never occurs to me. I wonder if they're home. <laughs> it just doesn't occur to me. Well, I can't boast. I can't boast against the person who's, who's tempted to break into that house and say, well, you know, I would never do that. No, I'd never do that because I'm not tempted to do that. It's the truth. No, when the, when, when the flesh rises up and we're tempted, if we're, if we're weak spiritually, uh, the, the flesh and the unrenewed mind will team up and trip us up and, and bring us into sin. But a Christian doesn't do that as a lifestyle. I've had, I've had young couples come to me, and even not so young, but particularly young couples come to me, you know, dating, and I've had them come to me and, and just say, Pastor, you know, we just need to talk to you. You know, we, we just want to get this right. We've slipped up, you know, and we've fallen into, we've had sex. And I just wanted to come to you and just, you know, uh, just have you pray for us, you know, and I've prayed for them, restored them. And I, but I said, now don't, don't put yourself in that situation again. Now that you know that you're vulnerable there, you've got to put, put some safeguards around you to keep from getting yourself in that situation where that can easily happen. Amen. But see, that's, that's a person who, they're Christians, they're, they, they love God and they want to do right. And, and in other areas, they're practicing righteousness, but they slipped up. Well, thank God there's forgiveness for that. They're not, they're not doing what this passage in, in chapter three is talking about. They're not practicing lawlessness. Now, if you move in together, 
I mean, if you move in together and you're not married, now you're practicing. You've made a decision. You see the difference? You've made a decision. We're, We're going to actually sleep together. We're actually gonna, we're gonna make provision for it on a regular basis. That's, that's an entirely different situation altogether. If you're, a, if you're a, an unmarried woman, you're not going to be taking birth control pills. I mean, unless the doctor has prescribed it for some kind of a medical need, But if you're dating and you get on the pill just so you can have, you're practicing sin. That's a very serious thing. You got no business. Why would you need contraceptive if you're not planning on fornicating? You wouldn't need it. Come on now. Paul said, do not make provisions in, in, in the 13th chapter of Romans. He said, do not make provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. It's altogether a different thing. No, the Christian, a person who really loves God and is genuinely born of God, he cannot live and make opportunity and just decide, okay, we're just gonna, we're gonna sin. Now, if he does, he's on very, very serious ground. You remember in the, in the church at Corinth, there was a man who uh, had taken his mother, and his, his, rather his stepfather's wife, his, his stepmother away from his father. You remember that? He had taken his stepmother away from his father and was living with her. Go over there and let's look at it. Well, praise the Lord in this happy day. (laughs) These things will help us. I said these things will help us. This is where we live. Amen. Don't get mad at me. Well, you're condemning me. No, I'm not. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Did this condemn you today? Nope. Did this condemn you today? Nope, not guilty. Well, if you're condemned, it's not me. I'm not condemning you. Amen. Let's see where it is. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Where is this at? What am I looking for? Let's look at uh, chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. That's just creepy. (laughs) I mean, even, even the heathen know that's not right. That's just not right. Besides being sinful, it's just not right. Isn't that right? He said, it's not even named among the Gentiles. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body and present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. 
In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. He said, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a, that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. See, a person who misses it falls into temptation in some kind of an area. We who are spiritual should restore that one if, if they need restore. In other words, they need, if they come to us and need help. Well, if, if God wants us to restore someone, certainly he wants to restore them. He wouldn't be less eager and less quick to restore someone than he would require us to be. No, God wants to restore. God, there is forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when a person makes a decision, I'm going to, I'm going to make provision for this sinful lifestyle. It's very serious. Paul turned him over, this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now, did God destroy his flesh? No. Not so that God would destroy his flesh. God's not destroying people's lives. But when a Christian persists in sin, when a Christian makes a decision, like I said, you know, if, if, if you've made, if you've made uh, provisions and made arrangements so that you can sin over and over and over. I don't care how many times you say, Lord, forgive me. You can't, you can't get out of bed and say, Lord, forgive me for what I just did when you're living together. No, there needs to be some fruit accompanying that repentance, and that means move out. Somebody's got to separate themselves. You're living together. Your repentance doesn't mean anything. But when, a, when you sin and you mean it and you ask God to forgive you, you're not planning on repeating that. You might repeat it a thousand times, but 999 times and the 100, I mean the 1,000th time, you're not intending to do it again. Listen, I have all of the patience in the world with someone who, who is standing and struggling, I'll go with you to the last mile. And, and if, I, if, if, I, if you need my help, I'll stand with you, I'll help you, I'll pray for you. I don't care how many times you've missed it. I don't care how many times you've done the same dumb thing over and over. I have too. You have too, all of us have. But when a person decides I'm going to practice this. They're on very dangerous ground because their spirit becomes grieved. That, that their spirit, let me say that again, their spirit is, is their conscience is singed. Their, their spirit that is condemned, the more you intentionally override that con conviction and, and, or condemning of your spirit, the more you override that and the Holy Spirit's dealing with you to, to get out of it too. He's pointing you out. But you've decided, no, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna persist in sin. You send your own heart, your own conscience before God. 
And that leads you down a, a path towards complete destruction. He said, I turned him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a danger of a person actually losing their salvation when, you, when they determine, I'm going to live in sin. No matter what the Bible says, no matter what the Holy Spirit is trying to get me to do, no matter of, the, of my own spirit that's dealing with me, I'm just gonna do wrong. It's very dangerous. It's very, my wife and I, not just you know, to embarrass her, but my wife and I, we were teenagers. We were having sex all the time. I mean, it wasn't a one time, every time we, we went out, just about, for a period of, of a few months. We were making plans. Well, I knew better than that, but I overrode what I knew. And, I, and, and, and we were practicing, we didn't care that we were doing wrong. That opened the door for us to go much, much further away from God. When I got back into fellowship with the Lord, the Lord just kind of really uh, manifested himself in a powerful way. I was looking at the time I got back into fellowship with the, Lord, with the Lord, I was looking to disprove everything I had ever learned about the Bible. I had determined that, that Christianity was false, that it wasn't true, and I was actively pursuing, rejecting. I mean, I, I, in my mind, I was wanting to reject everything I knew about Christ. Sin leads you down that road. And God in his mercy intervened in my life, not against my will, I still had to yield to him, but he made a play for me. And thank God he did. Because I could have... I completely lost my salvation. Once a person do that, does that, there's no coming back. You can't get born again again. Amen. Listen, he who, let's go back over there or quote it right. First John, sorry. Chapter three. <clears throat> Verse three, he who has this hope in him purifies himself. Listen, don't get to the place where you have to be turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. It can happen. And it's, it's, a, it's a tragedy, but it's better than going to hell. Better than losing your salvation, but why not just get right with God? Why not just do right? Why not just put your flesh under and say, no, I am not going to live this way anymore. Well, amen. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Went a little bit more in this direction than I intended to go, but that's all right. Amen. We need to hear it. It's true. It's true. It's serious business. Jesus is coming. I don't want to be ashamed at his coming. I don't want to be ashamed when he's not coming. See, you cannot fellowship with God when you're practicing sin. You cannot fellowship with the Lord with sin in your life. Your spirit is grieved, it's condemned. And you can't fellowship with God because in God there's, there's light and there's no darkness in him. 
There's a consciousness of sin when you're out of fellowship. Go with me to Psalm 137. Psalm 137. Verse number one, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. I hear people turning. Psalm 137, verse one, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Verse number four, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? See, that's, 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 the, uh, that's the emotion of being out of fellowship with God. There's no joy, there's no song. You can't, you can't enjoy the presence of God when you're out of fellowship with him. But thank God you can come back into fellowship. Amen. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we sin, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, what happens? What happens to our righteousness? We've been made the righteousness of God. What happens to that? Well, glory to God. Go back to 1 John. Go back to 1 John again. Second chapter. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sin of the whole world. See, whenever you do sin, even though you've missed it and even though you've committed unrighteousness, Jesus Christ, the righteous, is ever your advocate. He, an advocate is someone who pleads someone else's case. He is the advocate always before us. He's always before the Father saying, yeah, I know he did wrong, but I died for him. He believed on me. He's been born again. He's got faith in me. Jesus is arguing your case when you do wrong. Oh, glory to God. Go over to Hebrews chapter uh, four and, and, and we'll look at four and 10. Hebrews four. Hebrews 4. Oh, glory to God. Seeing then that we have a, seeing then, this is verse 14, Hebrews 4, 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us and with our weaknesses. But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. We have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. Like I said, if a Christian is weak spiritually, he'll yield to that temptation sometimes. Well, the Lord doesn't kick him out. He, symp excuse me, he sympathizes. We have a high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who sympathizes with that. He's touched by that. Our weaknesses, he, 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 he knows what it means to be tempted. He was tempted in all points like we were, like we are. So every time you're tempted, even when you fail, does he get mad with you? No, he's sympathetic toward you. He didn't sin, but he knows what it means to be tempted. 
Amen. He was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, you, because of sin consciousness, when you do wrong, you, you, you don't enjoy fellowshipping with the Lord, but you can sure come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy. So you, this is talking about when you're out of fellowship, you come boldly to the Lord to obtain grace and mercy. You don't need mercy unless you've done wrong. First, I mean, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 is talking about when we've missed it, we can still come boldly, come quickly, come boldly to the Lord, to the throne of grace, to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Glory to God. And he's right there because he's our high priest. He's always, he's always helping us. It says over in Romans, he ever, he, 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 we read it. He says, does Jesus, does Christ condemn? No, he ever lives to make intercession for us. Isn't that right? He's interceding for us. He's advocating for us. He's, he's representing us. He's not throwing us out. He doesn't throw us out when we do wrong. Oh, glory to God. Now go over to the 10th chapter. I want to wrap this up. Therefore, brethren, Verse 19, having boldness, this is a different kind of boldness, a different case, I should say, a different aspect of, of boldness. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Ooh, glory to God. There's a boldness you can have in fellowship with him when you know that your sins have been remitted, glory to God, and have been purged and you've got things right. Oh, hallelujah, you can come into his presence, glory to God. Woo, hallelujah. Have boldness, confidence. And that's what John was talking about, 1 John 3, uh, where he says we have confidence. When our, if our spirit does not con condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And we know what we ask we're going to receive from him. Why? Because there's nothing between us. Oh, glory to God. Yes, God has provided. Listen, God, you will make mistakes, but God has provided the way back. Amen. And, and, and listen, everybody misses it. Now, if somebody tells you, you know, I've, I've learned to live above sin. I, well, 1 John said you haven't. If you say you have no sin, you're deceived. If you say you never miss it, you're just deceived. Amen. But we can get better at it. God intends. He didn't write that so that we would sin. He wrote it because he knew our, our, our flesh. We're, our flesh is not redeemed yet. So he made provision. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. So don't, so don't let the enemy condemn you. Your own heart will, will, will condemn you, but don't listen to the, to the condemnation of the enemy. He'll tell you, that, well, there's no way back. God doesn't love you anymore. That's a lie. Amen. I said, that's a lie. Certainly he loves you. He's not throwing, he's advocating for you. He's interceding for you. He's pulling for you. Amen. Well, glory. Let's stand up. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you today for your wonderful provision of forgiveness.
as Christians, when we do wrong, Father, we can go to you quickly, instantly, any time, every time, at a moment's notice, when our heart troubles us, we can go to you, Father, and say, Lord, forgive me. I know that wasn't the perfect thing to do. I know I didn't obey you. I ask you to forgive me, wash me, cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And we know that you instantly forgive and restore. And we can walk on in fellowship with you that way, really not having our fellowship broken, but just momentarily. And then back right back into perfect fellowship with you. Oh, glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for that, Lord. You're so good to us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Father, we have this blessed hope of your soon return to catch away the church. We're eagerly awaiting your return. Lord, we don't want anything in our lives that we would be ashamed of should you come this very day, this very day, not, we don't want anything in our life that would be shameful. We want to live pure before you, purifying ourselves with this hope that we have. Glory to God. What a wonderful way to live. We don't have to live like the children of Israel in Babylon, living in captivity in a strange and foreign land, a dark and lonely land where there's no joy and no song. We can come back into the land of plenty. We can come back into the place of fellowship where the joy of the Lord is rich and full. And no matter what's going on around us, when all is right between us and the Lord, there's joy unspeakable and full of glory. We thank you for that, Father. Glory to God. We purpose in our heart, Lord, to live that way every day. To live that way every day. When we, when we slip up and yield to temptation, we quickly deal with it. And ask forgiveness and get restoration. And we just go on in your joy and your peace every day. Thank you for it, Father. Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.